Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Hockey Show Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm John. Happy New Year. We are back. We decided that, well, I don't really, we didn't really decide. I just, I got busy and since the NHL took a week off, why do a show in between that weird time where we had nothing to talk about except for the fact Alex Ovechkin finally broke the record. And he's number two all-time leading goal scorer as we said he would be any yeah. any new year's resolutions nick maybe some better time management some more creativity perhaps um no no real new year's resolutions uh I, i'm not really abiding by that concept this year uh i my was gonna do 1080p but i think this is the year i jumped to 4k oh okay okay i've said that joke so many times everyone insists it's terrible but i yeah I yeah. standing by it. Hey, you, you went for it. And that's all yeah. that's all that we can say. So, yeah, uh, yeah, there's uh, it's a new year. Uh, let's talk hockey. Let's get into things. And with the new year means we had another winter classic. Uh, and I got to say, I actually enjoyed this year's winter classic. I thought I thought this was one of the better games that we've seen uh, in a while between the Penguins and the Bruins. It definitely was. And I was curious to see kind of what the production would be like with a new uh, rights holder carrying mm-hmm. it. But I, I thought they did pretty well with it. I uh, I like the baseball uh, uniforms uh, done by both teams, but they supposedly did not coordinate that. Uh, but I I thought that was kind of cool. There's a great picture floating around of Nick Felino in a baseball uniform carrying a pizza, which is just kind of everything that I think any of us want in life. I am a little bit sick of the outdoor games at this point, though. I'm not going to lie. The the effect has worn off for me. And and, hey, hockey's a regional sport. It's more about the people that are there for the big fan fest and everything. I get that 100%. But my my two biggest things is, one, I went to one, as you know, uh, Red Wings, uh, Maple Leafs there in Ann Arbor. Very cold, very miserable experience for me. Uh, 13 degrees we had for that game. So uh, glad I went to it. Really uh, glad I got to be a part of it. Not looking to repeat the experience for me personally. All right. Um, Well, it's funny you say that because I actually, I still dig these games. I still get very excited for them. And I liked, I I was with you. I was was curious to see what would happen with uh, new rights holders with with new people in charge of the production, and I think they did a pretty good job with it. I, you know, they didn't overdo it. It didn't feel like one of those ma- like where it's like, and here's so and so music artist that makes no mm-hmm. sense that they're here, uh, and you're like, what the hell's happening? Like, why are we doing this? What's the like? It was. It felt like a game. It felt like they just went back to their roots of hey. We're outside, we're in Fenway Park, like, this is cool, right, people? Like, we don't need more spectacle to the fact that this is an outdoor game in one of the oldest baseball parks. Like, just think about how cool that is. Uh, I like the sound. It felt like the crowd was really, like, it didn't feel like it was a home ice advantage for the Bruins. It sounded like there were a lot of Penguins fans there. Uh, and and I, I, I thought the sound of the crowd was was pretty on point. Like you, you really, I don't know, there's something, I, I really dig these outdoor games. I still get excited for them. I still like them. Uh, I I like them more so though. You went, you know, you mentioned you went to Ann Arbor. There's something about the baseball stadium aesthetic that I like more than the football field setup. 
It, it definitely does look better in a baseball stadium. I, I will not argue that point at any time. I do I do like that look a little better. Uh, I would like to see, you know, a lot more like Lake Tahoe-ish stuff where it's not yes. necessarily your traditional sort of location. Uh, it, I feel like if you could get something in Banff or just anywhere in the uh, Western Rockies just out, exposed to those sites i think that would be super cool uh i could the other gripe that i have for it is i'm tired of the broadcasters going up and interviewing a guy and talking about how special it is to play outdoors these guys have all played in elite indoor facilities since they were about seven years old let's let's call it what it is you know the the people that are playing outside are doing it because they can't afford the ice time uh if he even here in Ohio, it is cold enough to play outside maybe twice a year on a really cold year. Let's all just dial back the rhetoric of, oh, this is just like I played when I was growing up. Like, we get it, man. You don't have to keep going up to these guys and forcing them to lie. Yeah, the question would be better if they said, what's it like to be playing in an outdoor game and, and the roots of, the, of, of hockey? Because you're right, you know, maybe I'll buy the fact that Sidney Crosby might have played a little bit outside when he was, like, super young, but for the most part, I'm not going to be buying Jake DeBrusque, you know, at, at eight years old, was, was skating on his pond and was out there, and Dad was like, come on in, you're, you're gonna get sick, and he was like, no, 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 I have to get better in open ice, and uh, one day I'm gonna be playing at Fenway Park, and... And I'm going to be a Bruin, and I'm going to score two big goals, and I'm going to beat the Penguins, and we're going to remain uh, undefeated in Boston. Uh, well, we should say no regulation losses in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, I, I'm worried that they're going to start running out of cool places to do it just because they've done the Yankee Stadium, they've done Fenway, can't, I'm almost certain they've done Camden Yards, they've done Wrigley. Like, I, I feel like Actually, the... I don't think they did Camden Yards, but I'll check. They, they have to have had the caps there, right? I think I think it was Nats Park. I thought they did it at Nats Park. Oh, well, that's a serious miscalculation if I ever saw one. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I feel like you're going to start running out of uh, baseball stadiums to do this in. And uh, it seems like you, you, we, we might have to start getting a little more creative, uh, which I'm all for. And yeah, it was, uh, it looks like it was Nats Park. Although... Just saying, Caps Flyers, Caps Hurricanes, be easy to do at Camden. Although, am I misreading this or did I not? Oh, yeah, actually they're playing. Okay, so the Capitals, I, uh, wow, okay, so. As much as I'm sitting here saying I really enjoy the outdoor games, I forgot that the Capitals are playing the Hurricanes in the Stadium Series game this year Whoops. in February. <laughs> I, I forgot it too. That is how much I'm sick of some of these games. What stadium are they playing in? Uh, it looks like they're going to be going to Carter Finley. Um, Good for so them. it looks like, oh, it's the football stadium uh, right across the way from um, PNC. Okay, cool. So I don't know if you've ever been to a game in Carolina. I have. I have. Okay, it, so it, yeah, yeah, you know how you got the, uh, they've got the college right next door and yeah. the uh, football stadium. So it looks like that's where they're going to be doing it. 
that's cool. That's actually really cool because it's literally like right next door. Um, but yeah, oh, they, God, did, uh, they did. They didn't match for there. Yeah, that that will be insane. But yeah, all right. So we still got another outdoor game coming this year in the stadium series. Breaking news here. On uh, the yeah, we, we well, we just figured that out. But uh, all right. Well, I guess if that's your your take on these outdoor games, you know, what did you think though overall of that game? Did you think was was it was it chippy the way games have been in the past like as far as the ice goes did you think the weather played an impact or was it just watching an outdoor game and and going oh this is a game outside but i could just be watching it at any yeah, it, other it's, i i mean it's hard to get that feeling for the aesthetic of it like that doesn't stop being different from the from a typical game uh, I felt like it, you know, it looks a little different, but it's not too terribly different this time around, at least. I felt like the weather cooperated pretty well. Yeah. Uh, there's not too much uh, that you can that you can say about it. It, just, it, did, it seemed like, I don't know, I'm getting to the point where it's another year, another winter classic sort of thing. And unless mm-hmm. something disastrous happens, like Corey Perry getting kicked out, uh, it's, it's hard for me to get too, too worked up either way, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I, I mean, and especially especially when it's the Bruins and the Penguins again. Yeah. You know, not not it ended up being a great game. But but overall, how many times have we seen both of them if or one of them in a winter classic? I mean, yeah, famously, the Penguins were the first one. Yeah, I, I feel like people remember these more if something just goes really off the rails, like the rain at the capitals penguins game or the buffalo uh buffalo one's called the snow globe game just like Mm -hmm. there's there usually has to be something to make them stand out a little bit if that makes sense yeah or or you have officials that decide to just start calling penalties and a random ass penalty shot in the final waning moments of a game in philadelphia because you're desperate to try and help the flyers beat the rangers i believe i don't know if you remember that one because that led to a great tort rant (laughs) (laughs) he got fined for that one didn't he not that that narrows it down but yeah because he made the comment of uh he insinuated that they were only making the national television to spike up ratings and and drama (laughs) never changed towards never oh yeah no Um, um all right, Next so, so the game happened so the game happened 2 1 Bruins won uh as we mentioned I guess the next part of this segment going to be interesting to discuss uh we did find out that there is going to be a 2023 heritage classic between the flames and the oilers that's going to take place at commonwealth stadium now this is going to be next season they announced this one but uh the game is going to happen so this is kind of cool because uh this is where the first heritage classic happened yeah uh, back in 2003 which really in a way i want to say sparked this whole outdoor game situation yeah, and in the Heritage Classic, uh, for those that don't know, always takes place between two Canadian teams, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't have a problem with, of course. Uh, the Battle of Alberta is always really good, uh, which provided that both teams are in the playoff hunt. You know, if one's it like any other rivalry, if one's good and one's garbage, then it's not nearly as interesting of a game to yeah. watch. Uh, I remember, I think it was George LaRock when he was talking about the 2003 
uh, Heritage Classic said that it was so cold that, uh, for it that there was just a gentleman's agreement that nobody was going to hit each other. <laughs> so it was definitely a uh, a unique game there, to say the least. Yeah, uh, but this one's going to be taking place in October of next year. So something to look forward to. Uh, you're right. The Battle of Alberta is always fun. Uh, Flames Oilers is going to be a good one. I can't wait, you know getting the best player in the world, Connor McDavid, which I didn't even jot that down, but I'm jotting that down. We might have to discuss that later. Some of the crazy things some people have said about Connor McDavid uh, recently. The next Winter Classic for 2024 is going to be the Kraken hosting the Golden Knights in Seattle. The two expansion teams going to go at it. Uh, and this is going to be at T-Mobile Park, which is the home of the Seattle Mariners. John, what needs to happen at this Winter Classic? I think they're just really hoping it doesn't rain. Uh, but it's it it's cool that you could get the two uh, expansion franchises in there to host one of these so quickly. That's got to be a really good sign of how the Seattle market is doing. Uh, if I'm somebody like Arizona or Columbus, they're probably pissed because uh, they haven't had their chance to do one. But uh you know, sell out the indoor game before you worry about selling out the outdoor. I do want to say they will not have to worry about the rain because this is actually the first NHL, the first baseball stadium they're going to. They have a retractable roof. Oh. So you actually won't really need to worry about the weather uh, for this game, which is, I think, the first time we could ever say that, that we don't have to worry, you know, if there's a blizzard, if there's thunderstorms, if, you know, whatever's happening we don't need to worry if it's too cold we're not going to have a lake tahoe incident with the sun or anything like that but if it's but if the roof's retractable then it's not outdoors necessarily right okay all right it you know it's still let's be real here that they, roof is uh, gonna be open unless it's raining or unless it like really calls for being closed yeah, they, the, well, well, that'll help make sure they don't have to delay it a ridiculous amount or anything yeah. like that. But I exactly. think they, I think they had to do that for a uh, Heritage Classic game that Vancouver hosted. That Probably just, yeah. yeah. At least I, I was honestly shocked that this past Winter Classic started on time. I'm not gonna lie, I tuned in a little, a little after two and was like, yeah, well, they're probably not be in like pregame ceremony at this point. Nope, sure enough. They were already getting through the pregame ceremony. Uh, I saw I saw the players out there, the former uh, Red Sox players, uh, Veritek catching the puck, being shot at him. Uh, which brings me to what I kind of hope happens in Seattle. We need Ichiro and we need Ken Griffey Jr. involved. That would be amazing. That's That's all I'm asking for. That's all I'm asking for. And if you need like a band or something like that, you got to go with Pearl Jam. Oh yeah, you got to get Pearl Jam. Like, come on, keep it Seattle, keep it, keep it gold in there. NHL, do it right. Um, all right. Yeah, I, I have not no idea if I'm pretty sure Pearl Jam has some hockey interest, but I, I have no idea if Ken Griffey Jr. or Ichiro have the slightest interest in hockey. But I feel like just showing up there and waving is going to make the crowd go nuts for him, and that's what's yeah. important. Yeah, that's and that's really all it is. That's all it's. Be. You get those guys out there, especially Ichiro. I'm sure Ichiro has no idea what hockey is, but you just get those guys out there. The hometown crowd loses it. 
they get their, you know, 15 minutes again, back in, back in the spotlight. They're then Mm -hmm. all over, they're being interviewed. They're on ESPN, all of it. So they're fine. They'll, they'll do it. They'll love it. Um, all right, let's move on to, uh, the world juniors. Cause that's been going on and we don't have to get into like all the, you know, Oh, prospect on this team is leading this way and this and that and yada, yada, yada. Monday, five games were played. It was the busiest day. Canada, USA, Czech, uh, Czechia, and Sweden yes. all punched their tickets. They're going to play in a medal game. They're in the semis. Uh, Latvia is taking the first of the best of three uh, regulation round. But really, I think the thing that we are all talking about is Connor Bedard. And Connor Bedard, uh, with the support of Eric Lindros telling him to go out there and not just get the record, but shatter it. Uh, has just shattered every single record pretty much at the World Juniors. He's got the most points by a Canadian all-time with 34, most goals by a Canadian all-time with 16, most points in a single tournament by a player under 18 with 21. I don't think he's the first overall pick or anything like that. (laughs) I I mean, there, there still is a conversation about it but it's become a lot less of a conversation for it uh he's being called the best prospect since crosby and the two world juniors performances it's being compared to is eric lindross's and uh peter forsberg's uh big difference of course being that they absolutely dominated the tournament at 19 years old which you would kind of expect one to whereas Connor bedard i'm not sure if you heard about this is 17 uh i i the the pessimist in me immediately wants to say all right you got eight points against germany you got seven against switzerland let's calm down a second uh but for to consistently do this uh it's somewhat that even i have to kind of hand it to him and say okay this kid's gonna be something pretty special here big question that it's come down to is between him and I think Adam Fantilli has really separated himself uh, as a potential first overall picks. And of course, you know, when Connor Bedard gets to play with the University of Michigan product like Adam Fantilli, you would expect his game to get elevated there a little bit. Do you think some of the guys, do you think Bedard is enhancing some of the guys? Because I know um, Othman, uh, he's a Ranger prospect and, and, I think he's good, but he's been putting up like he's looked really good to where people are like, oh, man, this kid could be a a starting left winger in the top six for the Rangers, which (laughs) that's funny that you 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 act like you don't know that the Rangers are not going to put a young kid in the top six. Um, Why wouldn't a young person get in the top six? Is there something that happened recently that would allude to that? I mean, you know, there, there's plenty of things there. There's, there's, there's a scratching of a first overall pick. And there's also the fact that you still have Artemi Panarin and Chris Kreider locked into the left wing side as your left wing one and left wing two. So, you know, good luck getting left wingers to crack the top six on their natural side. So they're going to have to learn to play the opposite side, which sometimes doesn't go all that well. Uh, so yeah, um, I think this kid is absolutely bonkers, but yeah, I think he's enhancing anybody who's playing with him is getting, is getting a draft bump or their teams, if they've already drafted them, like the Rangers with Hoffman are getting a, oh my gosh, I think we have something better than we, than we actually do. 
Yeah, and and you you don't want to draft based on that, but if you already picked somebody, uh, there's something to be said about knowing how to play with elite t- talent. Uh, ask Chris Kunitz; he made it his entire career. Uh, but there, <laughs> but you you want to see somebody able to perform at that level and not necessarily just be an anchor and get dragged around by them. And that's what it really seems to have happened with often at the world junior so far the the question going into world junior was if you have the first overall pick do you want to take connor bedard who's probably the more elite offensive talent that doesn't necessarily have as much to his defensive game or do you want to take adam fantilli who is probably closer to being the overall complete package uh, and as much as I have my own University of Michigan bias, I would not want to be the GM that passed on Connor Bedard at this point. Yeah, at this point, I think with what's been laid out world junior wise, barring, you know, any setbacks after this, I don't think there's a way you can possibly justify telling your owner, no, 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 we're not, we've got the number one pick, but, but trust me, you do not want to draft Connor Bedard. Yeah, trust me. This is not the guy that we want. Trust me. We we want to go a different route. Like, it's going to be hard to convince anybody that that is a smart decision because we have we have two eyes. We see what this kid's capable of, and uh, you know who's to say he, you know, sure he doesn't have the two way game down yet, but that's fine for for a kid that's going to be eighteen making his NHL debut. Uh, I'm okay if his defense isn't up to snub right away i that's something that he can he can learn he's yeah offense first for me he's a guy that i want playing offense sure you know and usually a player like this you'll do their first season on the wing let him get a taste for the nhl then you'll move him to center but depending on who you're talking to if you have that once in a generation elite talent you may not pick them first if you want to win the playoffs uh that's true that's true because uh if you're john scott apparently uh even you are fans it doesn't really matter as long as you are too good at offense you're you're not you're not somebody that can lead your team to a championship which yeah let's just before we get into the next part of the bedard thing let's let's hit on that really quickly i felt like that was a good lean in john scott made i want to say the stupidest comment i think i have ever seen where the the stupid comments episode was two weeks ago like there's no time for this john well i know right like you waited too long but um he did put out that Connor bedard he would not draft he would not put in the top five if he was drafting of best players because McDavid doesn't play defense. Allegedly, is all offense and no good at defense. Doesn't have a pedigree of winning. All all this stupid crap that all you need to do is look at last season in the playoffs and go, wait a minute, didn't Connor McDavid single handedly carry? The Edmonton Oilers with a 40-year-old goalie that couldn't even stand up to a semifinal? Didn't he single-handedly? He gave them a fighting shot against the Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. Like, I'm sorry, that was just one of the craziest clickbaity, listen to my show. I was an NHL all-star because the fans thought it would be funny to vote me in as a way to say F you to Gary Bettman. What's what's your take on the thought on this on this comment, John? I, it's 
John Scott is not a stupid guy. Let's start with that, okay? Graduated from Western Michigan, had not just like some BS arts degree, has a degree in engineering, okay? Like, not a dumb guy. Has been around the game, has probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. The, the, the full quote was, Connor McDavid is the best player in the world, which would have been a good place to stop. Uh, but if I'm building a playoff team right now, he's not in my top five picks. So it's just like, excuse me? Uh, you know, if he's not your number one, I get that. And someone challenged him to uh, to kind of, you know, say who he would go with instead, to which he said Kucherov, McKinnon, Hedman, Makar, maybe Bergeron. Am I crazy? Skills only get you so far, as we've seen. To which, uh, one, what would you know about being skilled, John? But also, just, like, the idea that McDavid is somehow responsible for everyone around him on that roster being garbage is becoming such a tired narrative at this point. Uh, there's, you know, you have the two elite centers there. They often play together, so you kind of have to put all of your eggs in one basket. But it's, you know, what were the Oilers supposed to do? Not sign dry sidle to that huge deal not give mcdavid all that much money like it's just it's idiotic it doesn't make any sense it's clickbaity it's just the it's it's something that riles us up because we all know like so again you're right he's smart because he knew what he was doing there but it really it doesn't make sense in the sense that in the in the way of like that's the way you want to go with this. That's how you have to approach this is you have to say the most ridiculous thing. And and granted, this is more than any of us have thought about John Scott in a good while. So maybe he's he single. If I'm not like, yeah, he's he is the best player in the world right now. Um, and maybe Connor Bedard is going to become that. But right now it's McDavid. And that is the guy I want on my team. That is the guy I want leading me at any point in time. I would happily take him on my team yeah and and this is where you know if you look start looking at advanced numbers not you don't even need to do it as much as i do to kind of figure out oh when Connor mcdavid's on the ice that's not the problem for his teams it's when he's off the ice that they're giving up all this offense yeah so 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 to to for him to come to that conclusion as you know, like I said, we're this is the most we've thought about John Scott for a year. So if that's what he's aiming to do, then you know, hey, he did his job. But yeah. I, I'm just, I, I, it feels like every few months we have to hear some narrative of, uh, you know, hey, someone doesn't think Connor McDavid's actually that good. Yeah, it, it just it's stupid. Uh, agreed. It's people. Connor McDavid is the best hockey player in the world. And, and Bedard may get to that point, but yeah. hopefully when he does, he is not listening to stuff like this. Although if he ends up on Arizona, best of luck, luck to him. Yeah, good luck. Well, I okay, so I don't know if he's going to end up on Arizona, but that brings a great point, and that's where I wanted to go next with the Bedard stuff. Uh, you have to imagine that after this performance, uh, certain teams, maybe the Columbus Blue Jackets, we already know the Chicago Blackhawks, but maybe the Ducks, maybe the Sharks, maybe the Canadians, Flyers, among a few others, finally just say, hey, you know what? We're not making the playoffs. It's not a good year. It is time to tank. 
for Bedard and to raise our chances at winning that draft lottery. Like, do you do you think now is the time if you are a team like the Flyers, you know, they're convinced they're a contender. Does the owner finally step in and go, you know what? We need we need Bedard. And and the Flyers are an interesting example because that spirit of Ed Schneider always hangs over the team, even though he's long since passed on. That they're just they're not a team that does that the tanking the long traditional rebuild uh but if there was a year to do it i think you could you could sell it to the fan base very easily uh i i I feel like most hockey fan bases at this point especially if they're in more traditional markets like philadelphia understand that and are willing to kind of go along with something like this provided that yeah hey if this if you hit it out of the park on this draft that's really going to shorten your rebuild for a while too. Mm-hmm. But for for something like this, you know, the the teams that you look at that have a good chance to kind of tank at this point, you mentioned Philadelphia, Montreal, Arizona, San Jose, Columbus, Anaheim, Chicago. You can maybe even throw Vancouver into that. Uh, Vancouver might be a little too far gone with, you know, the JT Miller signing and everything that we've mm-hmm. talked about to death there. But for for teams like this, that the uh, the traditional argument for it ha- or against it has always been, you know, hey, for every Edmonton or Toronto, there's a lot of Arizonas and Buffaloes that, you know, went into that rebuild and never necessarily got out of it. Yeah. To which I would kind of say. Okay, so what's your strategy then? Because if you got something better, I'd love to hear it, but that doesn't seem to be the case for a lot of these. And if if I'm one of these teams, I don't want to make it too obvious. You know, the year Buffalo drafted Jack Eichel, they were trading away any goalie that was halfway decent. Uh, but I maybe consider making some of these moves sooner rather than later. Uh, it's funny you say that because I, I was going to say that I think that we're going to start seeing some of these teams maybe start to unload some of their players prior to the March 3rd deadline, uh, especially potentially like the St. Louis Blues because Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko are now out. So you got that injury news with them breaking uh, and they're going to be gone for a while. So maybe you start moving some of those guys. Maybe you start eating more of the contract than you'd be willing to for those one year, those one year remaining contracts. Because I think at this point, if I'm a GM and I'm sitting there and I'm a team, I am 100% trying my best to put the worst team out there night in and night out with the understanding that we are going all in for Bedard. And if we don't get Bedard, we need at least one of the top three draft picks because we're going to still have another franchise player that we can draft. That's the build around. We don't need this 35-year-old guy anymore. We don't need this this 32-year-old injury-prone player anymore. It's great. They're fan favorites. That's wonderful. But it's time to think about what the next decade plus is, and it is not these guys. Yeah, and especially, I mean, like I don't envy Chicago being at the point where you probably have to trade uh, Taves and Kane. But at the same time, the GM that's there has the luxury of being able to say, hey, I didn't sign these guys. I can 
you know, I have no loyalty to them. I can do whatever I want with this. I don't know how much of a return you're going to get for them this year, though, because they have kind of struggled this year as well. And similar to what we said about McDavid, part of that may be just the team around them isn't very good. Uh, but there's only so far that that'll carry you right now. I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to start seeing how things play out. I think very soon we, I just think soon we could start seeing some, some moves. Maybe the, maybe Arizona starting to dump off some of their guys just to try and clear way to make it clear. Like, Hey, all right, we're, we're in the Bedard sweepstakes now. Like we, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Fans buckle up. The rest of the season is just all about trying to get Bedard and have that discussion as well of is tanking bad? Is it good? I, I see it as it's a 50, 50. It's bad because obviously you have now, you know, you've alienated, you're going to alienate a portion of the fans that are going to be like, why do I give a crap? But it's good in the sense of also you're, trying to commit to something you're you're indicating a plan for the future you know think think about the, you know you're a red wings fan think about kind of the past couple of years for you guys and and what it's been I'd like rather not yeah well yeah you don't <laughs> want to because it's been bad but but the idea of you have eiserman there now there seems to be a plan of where the team's moving forward yeah and i think arizona in particular is in a a very enviable position to where they're able to do something like that right now just because the big the biggest source of revenue for hockey teams always comes from their gate revenue which is why everything for the sport is very regionalized so if you're uh philadelphia you could be concerned about how you're going to sell out you know 18 19,000 seats coyotes don't have that problem right now nope so it's kind of, kind of a chance for you to say if you're going to uh if you're going to go that route you know this is maybe the perfect time to do that for Arizona provided you don't just completely erode any semblance of culture the team has but you know new arenas new uh leadership tends to change around change around a lot of that and so what Arizona will need at a certain point is a GM to build them back up like the Red Wings have with Iserman. Uh, mm-hmm. Although Iserman made a move today that had me real nervous about what the heck he's thinking. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that here as well uh, in a second. But, but you're right. Uh, the Coyotes eventually are going to need that, that GM that takes them to the next step and uh, we'll see what happens there. But but yeah, you mentioned, let, let's move on to the Red Wings. You mentioned it. They did make an interesting move today that, that at first did make me scratch my head. I think I'm kind of okay with it. And that's Jacob Rana has been waived by the organization. He's been placed on waivers. He's 26. He played three games last week with Grand Rapids, uh, which is the Red Wings AHL affiliate on a conditional loan to get back up to playing speed because he's been out of the NHL uh, for a while now. He's been uh, the NHL, NHL PA player assistance program. He's been there since December 9th. Carries a 5.25 million uh, cap hit over the next two seasons this year and next year, but he has until 2 p.m. on Wednesday to clear waivers. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts What what before I share mine. What did you think, John? Yeah, I, I'm counting the minutes until uh, 2 p.m. rolls around tomorrow for this. I, this move makes me so nervous the it took me a while to dig into why they even did it 
And a big part of that is that Robbie Fabry is getting ready to come off of injured reserve. So to activate him from injured reserve, you need to clear a roster spot. And they kind of decided this was the best way to do it. I would say maybe you don't need to carry three goalies to do it. But hey, what do I know? Uh, So the the thing that really stood out for this is... is Verana went to the AHL on a conditioning stint. And you can do that with players if it's going to be, you know, very temporary in nature. I think you can do it for two, uh, three game stints before you have to kind of make a decision to move them. In the three AHL games, uh, Jacob Verana, who is probably Detroit's best goal scorer just from a raw talent standpoint, uh, three AHL games, no points and a minus five with nine shots. That, to me, kind of says maybe he's not quite as ready to return to the NHL as we thought, either from a conditioning standpoint, from a timing standpoint, from a getting back into the groove of things standpoint. Uh, you know, when you're coming out of something like that, it's it would be irresponsible of me to speculate on it uh, in the sense that, you know, when you're in the player's assistance program, this handles things related to mental health and to addiction issues. Uh, Verona has not said why he wants to go into the program, probably doesn't really need to. Uh, but that leaves a lot of uncertainty when you're coming out of something like this. I'm, I was, I, I think that's, you kind of nailed it with the AHL numbers and the fact that we don't know why he went into the program, but Detroit does. So the Red Wings know, Eiserman knows. So he has knowledge that we don't have that's helping make that decision. I think the cap hit is something that the Red Wings feel comfortable either is going to scare off certain teams. Uh, also, some teams you don't need to worry about because of how up against the cap they are. But that $5.25 million, not just for this year, but for next year, might scare off some teams. Now, I do think, you know, you, you have teams like Arizona that could claim him. And there are teams out there that could claim him and they'd be very wise to claim him, uh, you know, and give him a shot. But I think that the games in the AHL, uh, no points, the negative five. I think that played a lot more into it and what that decision was. And again, it is interesting that they still have three goalies. Uh, I mean, Adam Erne is going to be scratched for Fabry. So, and he's a Pentagon restricted free agent. So why wouldn't you send him down and all that? You know, there were other options, but, but I think, I don't hate the move. It's just one of those things where I'm going on the, Iserman has a has a track record that I can trust these that like you look at and you can kind of go, all right, this is somebody that knows how to play it. This is the guy that that learned that was a part of the organization that was like, hey, this this injured reserve thing, this seems like teams can manipulate it. And everybody went, nobody would do that. Iserman was like, oh, yeah, we're going to manipulate the injured reserve thing. So he's a smart guy. So I trust this move is being based on things that we don't know, but he knows. Yeah, and and you may kind of look at it and say, hey, at this time of year with a flat cap, no one is taking on someone coming out of the player assistance program uh, that makes $5.2 million. When, mm-hmm. when When I went to look at the cap numbers, I found four teams that could even make the claim. Uh, because no no one else has the cap space. Uh, if there were, if there was like a bizarro Red Wings team, the Red Wings don't have five point two million in cap space to make a move like this. Uh, three of those four teams: Chicago, Anaheim, and Arizona. 
Uh, I think you can say you're safe with those because adding Verana would probably make the team get better. And like we just talked about with trying to get Connor Bernard and tanking a little bit, uh, you're not trying to do that right now. So I think it's safe to say that those three teams not going to put in a claim. What worries me is Buffalo because Buffalo has the cap space to bring somebody on like this. And it just makes me, it makes me nervous. I, I wouldn't put it past Terry Pagula to see a situation like this and say, Hey, here's a player we can acquire. Let's go out and get him." Uh, I think it would be kind of a crummy thing to do just because knowing what he's coming off of from a, you know, from a mental health standpoint, I don't think changing teams and changing cities would be tremendously helpful with that right now. But like I said, for Buffalo, I wouldn't put it past them. And so if I were a betting man, I am, I, I, I can't put a likelihood to it. I'm just really nervous about Buffalo putting in a claim on them. Buffalo is sitting behind the Red Wings in the standings. They've been playing fairly good, better after that horrible stretch that they had where they were just losing every single game. So they've, they've, they've righted their ship a little bit and are playing better, but I don't know, like even the Sabres, I'm just, I kind of don't think anybody's going to make a claim on him with that cap hill. Cause yeah, I, I'd like to be wrong. I'd you know, like to be the, wrong. I'm just, I, and I think I'm going to put you, put you at ease. I think you're wrong. I, I think he's going to still be playing Grand Rapids hockey and he's still going to be a member of the Red Wings. We'll, we'll see what happens 14 days later and all of that. I, I think he's, I think he stays a Red Wing. I think people are scared of that cap hit. And if I'm the Sabres as well, well, yeah, it could help. I know I've seen the articles of the Sabres are in the playoff race. The Sabres are in the playoff. Uh, no, I don't buy that. Because the Sabres are still behind the Red Wings uh, for a playoff race. They still have to jump the Islanders. Uh, and then they have to also jump the Penguins. So, it, yeah. Yeah, but we also almost counted out the Capitals earlier this year. So what do we know? Uh, That's true. That's very true. Can Tage Thompson drag this team kicking and screaming to the playoffs? Uh, crazier things have happened, I would say that. Well, uh, sure. he doesn't play good defense, though, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And the last thing that I have notes, uh, let's end with, or at least on my end, uh, we'll end with Joe Pavelski and the Dallas Stars. They agreed to a one-year contract extension. Uh, it's uh, $3.5 million base pay, includes $2 million in potential performance bonuses. He's coming off of a huge Saturday night. He recorded one goal, two assists against the Sharks, his former team. He has 37 points through 38 games this season. So, Pavelski still very productive, but uh, 38 in his fourth season with Dallas uh, as he signed this extension. Yeah, great American, a uh, great deal for the Stars, frankly, that they only have to have one year for that. They can kind of keep stringing him al along until he doesn't have it in him anymore to play. Uh, I mean that in the in a good way. I don't mean to suggest that they're doing something nefarious there. Not good choice of phrase on my part. Uh, did I ever tell you I've been through his hometown? No, you did not. Yeah, good American born in Plover, Wisconsin. Uh, they have a big billboard outside of town with him in a Sharks uniform highlighting his, you know, two-time Olympic medals <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. Very, very small city in Wisconsin. I don't think I ended up there on purpose. Uh, but it was very cool to see, and it's kind of hard to not associate him with that big billboard outside of town. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I'm just thinking of a giant billboard of him now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you. And you're right. It's not it's not stringing him along, but I like the idea of players at this age. You don't want to commit long-term to them, but you get them for one year. You get them at a pretty reasonable cap. And then he's got the performance bonuses, which is something that you can get as a 35-year-old player. Uh, so this is a solid deal. Uh, it helps the stars as long as he's producing and he's still producing, but yeah, it's, uh, it's manageable. And it's, it's also one of those contracts where if anything goes sideways, it's movable. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, especially if he ends up, you know, injured or something like that, there's going to be teams that need to get to the cap floor or just, you know, if it gets to the point where the stars whole season goes sideways, you could see a, you know, a Toronto or a Carolina or whoever mm -hmm. it may be wanting to load up and get a veteran there and help him get his cup. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. could see that yeah, happening too. Yeah, someone that needs like fourth line depth or something like that or wants to improve somewhere that they'll they'll convince themselves that a seasoned veteran like like Pavelski is worth mm -hmm. it. Um, Absolutely. All right, so that, that was all I had on my end. I know stuff on your end. Yes, I put together a little something uh, here for our holiday episode that never came to be, uh, but oh. there's a lot to it. So I'm going to go ahead and insist that we do this anyway. Okay. For you, Nick, you remember you and I talked about this a little bit. Uh, the person that invented podcasting, Ricky Gervais, used to have a little segment on there called Educating Ricky, which is a play on you, the all-time old movie, uh, Educating Rita. So I thought that it's time for Educating Nikki. And today's oh. segment of Educating Nikki is going to focus on NHL teams and how they got their names. Uh, we're going to go through Ooh. 10 of these because, frankly, not all of them are all that interesting. Uh, but this is going to be a good we're going to start with a, with some easy ones. We're going to ramp up the difficulty here. We're going to see how well you know a little bit of how teams got their names and the history of the league. Oh, boy. All right. So I promise we'd start really easy. Uh, the New York Rangers. Where did they get their name from? It was, uh, well, their owner was from Texas, so they got it from the idea of the Texas Rangers. Uh, the owner's name was Tex. Uh, Tex Richard, the president of Madison Square Garden at the time, chose Rangers so they could be Texas Rangers. Yes, their yeah. entire name based off of a pun for the owner. Just to keep me very... Uh, engaged here the detroit red wings of course founded in 1926 uh from the whl but they did not become the red wings until 1932 uh they had two prior names can you tell me what either one of them were no <laughs> <laughs> uh when they were a team in the whl they were the detroit cougars uh in 1930 a they uh, had an owner that was trying to separate them from that in their losing ways, so they became the Detroit Falcons. And a new owner that played for the Montreal Amateur Hockey Club that was known as the Winged Wheelers took over and gave them that name. Thought it was a good way to, to pay homage to his former team as well as the, uh, the automotive industry in the city at the time. Nick, the next one that we're going to jump forward to a little bit, we're going to the 1967 expansion and an ownership group in Philadelphia that was holding a contest to name their team in which the winner would receive a brand new 
21 inch color TV if their submission wow. was selected. Ooh, uh, yeah, some of the names included for the Philadelphia hockey team include the Sabres, the Lancers, the Raiders, the Royals, the Knights, the Bashers, the Bruisers, the Blizzards, the Ice Caps, the Huskies, the Keystones, and the Liberty Bells. But what made them settle on the Flyers? somebody spoke up at a town meeting and was like scratch like like i imagine everybody was sitting at this town meeting and then somebody just put their nails on the chalkboard and was like you want to name your team the abominations the knights i think we should name them the flyers and i'll do it for half the price It was my Jaws uh, reference in case nobody got that <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to jaws in a little bit uh, but the the owner's sister was flying to New York and suggested, hey, why not the Flyers? Because that's oh. incredibly creative and thoughtful. Uh, the owner liked it a lot. But since the naming contest needed to have a winner uh, for publicity purses, they selected a nine year old boy who submitted Flyers uh, spelled F-L-I-E-R-S. Uh, but they kept it for Flyers, F-L-Y-E-R-S, because we understand how to pluralize a proper noun. See also Toronto Maple Leafs. Also speaking in 1967, the California Seals, uh, who had several name changes in a very complicated lineage, can you tell me just one of the teams that they would eventually become? Oh, gosh. The Sharks? Kind of. Uh, So we start in 1961. The San Francisco Seals were a Pacific uh, Coast team in the WHL. Their team, of course, being a reference to the Pacific Coast baseball team, uh, which was of the same name. A lot of Seals in that region. Uh, In 1966, they moved from San Francisco to Oakland, where they became the Oakland Seals. Uh, They stuck that around in 1967 to where they would eventually become the Oakland Seals, Uh, joined the NHL, and in 1970 became the Bay Area Seals. Very catchy name. After two games with that name, they made a change again, to become the California Golden Seals because, of course, California is the Golden State. Had trouble making it work all the way out there in West. In 1976, they moved to become the Cleveland Barons, named after a previous team that was in Cleveland. Yep, Uh, 19... Which, you know, mid-70s economic downturn, great time to be a sports franchise in a Rust Belt city. Uh, In 1978, they dissolved and merged uh, with the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, And of course, around 1992 uh, was when the North Stars packed up and moved out to Dallas. The uh, part owner at the time that had originally held on to the Seals uh, didn't want to go along with that, so he was actually allowed to take part of the team and break them off and go back to San Francisco around that time. So a lot of, like I said, very complicated lineage that eventually ends up back in San Jose as the Sharks. Moving forward in time a little bit from our 67 expansion, in 1979, the NHL merged with the competitors, the WHA, 
four teams that they had were going to join the the NHL. Can you tell me two of those teams? Ooh, 79, four teams merging in. Four teams. You can tell me who they would eventually become if that would be helpful as well. I want to throw out uh, Hartford. Yep, Hartford was one of them. Um, because isn't that how uh, Gordy ended up back in the league as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was playing for Hartford at the time. He went, uh, when he decided he was done with the NHL, he uh, took a year or two off and then started playing for the Houston Arrows in the WHL because he got to play on a line with two of his sons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I want to say another one was St. Louis. No, St. Louis was part of the 67 expansion. 67 expansion. Okay. If they were part of the 67 expansion, then <sighs> wasn't the Islanders. They were already around. Yep. Um, no, Devils were in the 80s. Yep. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to run up and down the coast now and, and all of that. Was it Atlanta? Was it the first time Atlanta had a team? I'm afraid not. Uh, so you had four WHA teams that went to join the NHL. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets, which of course um, are, were named as a tribute to the Canadian Air Force that has a large presence there. The Hartford Whalers, originally the New England Whalers, but the WHL put a lot of teams in cities to compete with the NHL and they weren't about to have two Boston teams. So they, the new England whalers moved to Hartford, became the Hartford whalers smallest NHL team at the time before they, uh, or smallest NHL city rather before they moved to Raleigh in 1997 to become the hurricanes because storms on the coast weird to name a team after a big thing that destroys stuff there, but we'll hit on that theme a little on a little bit. The Colorado Avalanche were part of this WHA merger, but at the time they were the Quebec Nordiques. Uh, they are the furthest team at the time, and Nordiques is Northerners or Northern in uh, French. Uh, 1995, their purchase moved to Denver, almost called the Rocky Mountain Extreme, which just as one of the most 90s things I have ever heard of. Yeah. Uh, it, but the fans hated it. And in a uh, in something that would not become a tradition in the NHL ownership, listened to the fans and said, all right, okay. pick from the pick from this list. That includes uh, the Colorado Black Bears, Rapids, Cougars, Outlaws, Renegades, Storm, Wranglers or Avalanche. Uh, I would have a really hard time taking their future rivalry with the Red Wings serious where they call the Rocky Mountain Extreme, but that's just <laughs> me. Uh, and then the Edmund, the last of those four teams was the Edmonton Oilers, which was originally the Alberta Oilers. A uh, lot of oil reserves, a lot of oil workers. They planned to split their time between Edmonton and Calgary originally, which is why they were going to be the Alberta Oilers. Uh, but speaking of things related to Calgary, the Winnipeg Jets spawned uh, the current iteration of the Winnipeg Jets, of course, spawned from relocating the Atlanta Thrashers. But that was the second time the NHL tried to team in Atlanta. What was the first team in Atlanta called? Oh, Elmo. Um, the Did you just Thrashers. say Elmo? The Thrashers. <laughs> no, the first team in Atlanta was the Atlanta Flames. Because if you were going to name a city 
after something that happened, hey, this city got burned to the ground once. Let's call them the Flames. This would be like having a team in Chicago called the Cows because a cow very famously kicked over a lantern that started the Great Chicago Fire. But yeah, 1972 uh, Flames, uh, 1980 it was sold and they were moved to Calgary. But if you look ever look closely at their uniforms, the uh, Captain's A is the same A logo that they used when they were the Atlanta Flames. I always think that's a really nice oh, touch. Cool. Nice tribute. Um, let's jump forward to 1982. You mentioned them a little bit, the New Jersey Devils. Yes. What were they before they were the Devils? They were something prior to the Devils? Yes. The Garden State Devils? No. Uh, 1976, the Denver, Colorado Rockies, because, duh, that's what you would call that team. Uh, they had 10 coaches in eight seasons that did not particularly help uh, with their stability. Uh, so as a uh, being a constant uh, bottom ringer there, uh, they had uh, moved to New Jersey in 1982. Uh, prior to being the Rockies, they were the Kansas City Scouts, which are famous for a statue in Penn Valley Park of a uh, Native American that's called the Scout. Nice thing that works for that city. Uh, but the Devils got their name from a fan contest uh, to, you know, be the Jersey Devil, whether or not they're the New Jersey Devils or the New Jersey Devils up for debate. Uh, but other possibilities for them include the Jaguars, Blades, Colonials, Lightning, Meadowlarks, Coastals, Generals, Gulls, Jaguars, and Patriots. Uh, very difficult to picture Scott Stevens delivering a a crushing blow in support of the Meadowlarks. <laughs> I want you to think about a different sport for a moment here. I want you to think about basketball. I want you to remember in 1997, uh, the at-time Baltimore Bullets didn't like how their name was being associated with violence. Do you remember that? I do. Or they changed to become the Wizards. Uh, would you believe me if I said there was a, a hockey team that did something similar? 1991 uh, team was originally going to be called the Blades after a fan vote, but ownership did not want them to be associated with violence. Uh, so what did they opt for instead? 1991. Oh, man. What were the expansion teams? No, Tampa Bay came in. Maybe Tampa Bay came. Tampa. I'm going to go with Tampa. It was the San Jose Sharks. Oh, son of a... <laughs> We're originally going to be called the Plates, uh, but they decided, hey, 11% of all great white shark attacks occur in the Red Triangle off the coast of California out here, uh, which is why their logo has that triangle in the back, uh, but became, you know, sharks because they did not want to be associated with violence, so they went with one of nature's most perfect killing machines. I can kind of see where they're coming from, especially with Oakland that close. Maybe you don't want to be blades, but totally different kind of blade, too. So I don't know. Jumping to 1998, Nashville was awarded a franchise and did things a little bit backwards. They unveiled their logo first that had a saber tooth tiger and then had the name in contest for what they would be called. Why did they pick a saber tooth tiger for Nashville? Because they thought it would be cool. 
Uh, because the, some bones were found in 1971 during the construction of a skyscraper uh, that was a really interesting fossil that they found in the region. So they kind of picked that up uh, just as good as anything, I guess. Uh, potential other names included, included the National Ice Tigers, the Fury, and the Attack. That's cool. Um, total sidebar on this one, but I know this one. Colorado Rockies, uh, they found uh, when building their stadium, uh, and they have they had like a jersey that used to have a dinosaur on it to honor it. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, so I'm kind of mad that they don't do that anymore. I thought that was always so cool that they that they found the dinosaur bones. I, I mean, as far as team names go, it's hard to get cooler than a dinosaur, especially if you're aiming for like the four to six year old market. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I know I always thought predators was a weird term to go with, but Hey, they picked it. Not me. Uh, last one I had for you, uh, year 2000, this franchise accepted In submissions year from 2000, uh, accepted submissions from 14, 15,000 fans, and this team was almost called the Justice. Who am I talking about, Nick? In the year 2000, the team almost called the Justice. Um, boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I want to say, has Columbus been around that long? It is Columbus. Yeah. Uh, the Blue Jackets, uh, they decided on that name, referencing Ohio sending more people per capita than anyone else in the American Civil War, and uh, also a reference to the manufacturing of uh, uniforms for the Civil War that was a big deal at the time. Them and Atlanta both weird that uh, you have to go back to 1860 to, uh, to find something that their cities were especially associated with. But uh, hey, if it works for them, I like Blue Jackets a lot better than... Uh, potentially being the Columbus Justice. So, works out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Blue Jackets are definitely a better name. But, yeah. Wow, I can't believe the Blue Jackets have been around that long. I can't believe I put all of that together for something. I didn't really expect to do it. It just kind of came to me and I went with it. But this could be a fun new segment, Educating Nick. That was fun. That was fun. You know, outside of the Rangers one, I pretty much learned something new. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it this week. A fun show as always. John, what do you got to plug? Uh, I am still on Twitter at JT Evans, the number zero. And I as well, wonderful underscore radio. Until next week, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening.
this morning bright and early Took the drop of the to keep me heart from sinking That's the paddy's girl whenever he's on for drinking I see the lassie small up and all the while The curious dog has set your heart a bubble And asked me was I hired wages I required till I was sick and tired Of the rocky road to double and one, two, three, four, five Off the hair a turner down the rocky road All the way to double and whack for all the dogs Sailing captain had me roared No room inside and then I jumped aboard A cabin bound for Paddy down a bunker 